guys. My name is Jessica. Welcome to Unveiling the Scriptures podcast with Pastor Steve Curtis and Jared Curtis. Grab your Bibles as they open up to Revelation chapter 3. you back to the newest episode of the Unveiling the Scriptures podcast. Um, it's been a while since we've had an episode out. Uh, there's been some things going on, sick youngins <laughs> and other children being born. So I'm officially a grandfather. I go by the name Pop now. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And the baby's so cute. And yeah, she's super cool. So a lot's been going on. And so we haven't been able to get together and, and discuss this. And so the very first verse that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, we're going to start in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. The writer says, after this, well, we probably need to go back over what this is. So what is well, this? Well, actually, if you want, if you don't <laughs> mind, I'm just going to go to chapter 1, verse 19, which outlines the entire, I think outlines the entire book of Revelation. I'm going to go ahead and read this. And and in chapter nine, chapter one, verse nineteen, scripture says, "Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place." So the things that we've seen, of course, is Jesus Christ and His glory. John sees Him in chapter one, talks about Him, many different uh, titles and descriptions of who He is, and then the things that are speak of the church age. John, of course, was a part of the church age. We are a part of the church age. And um, and so in the church age, Jesus begins in this particular uh, uh, scripture, chapter 2, Jesus begins to talk about the seven churches. And these are real churches from real places. He talks about the church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, the church of Pergamum, the church of Thyatira, the church of Sardis, the church of Philadelphia, and the church of Laodicea. And we talked about that church last time and uh, d- talked about the good things and the bad things about it. But I believe that in chapters 2 and 3, Jared, that they talk about the, not only these specific churches, and not only can we glean from their, uh, from their mistakes and glean from the, the things that they're doing well, I believe that they represent the church age and that when the church of Laodicea comes to a close in chapter 22 of, uh, excuse me, verse 22 of chapter three, the scene shifts, the, 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 the place where, uh, where John has been talking is shifting because it says after this, and then he says, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. So we know where he's going. There's a door open in, in heaven. John sees this vision that, that has been given to him by the Lord. And, uh, of course, chapter 1 and chapters 2 and 3. But now he's going into what we call not only heaven, but the throne room. And he says, And behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard uh, speaking to me like a trumpet. Trumpets are so important here, and we'll talk about that probably another time. Uh, but he said, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place. And he uses the same two words after this. In other words, the church age is finished. I believe the rapture of the church takes place. First uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter four, verses 13 through 17. And uh, I think first Corinthians 15 as well. Talk about this, this uh, snatching away the Greek word is harpazo, and it means to be caught up or snatched away. And so I believe here we have a picture of the church. You know, we, In fact, we don't see the church like we do in chapters 2 and 3 uh, ever again, actually. I mean, now right. the redeemed, those who are part of the church, we do see. But now the church, I believe, has been transported, if you please, to heaven, to the throne room. And what has what is going on there? And this is really uh, an exciting time. Before we get into some of the uh, 
the, the, the bad things, some of the horrific happenings that's going to go on during the tribulation period, we get to see the throne room. We get to see a very important transition taking place that will lead into the earth of the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation, and then finally, well, it'll go to the, the, the millennial reign and to the new heaven and new earth. But let's just jump into chapter four. And Jared, do you have any comments on that so far? Well, the only thing that, that I was thinking while you were talking is just how, how incredible the setup to this letter has already been. So the very first thing um, that, that Jesus does is he paints this, this vivid picture. Well, John paints the picture of what he sees and the way that Jesus presents himself to John. So right away, again, as we've said numerous times, but still very important to, to keep in mind, is that the the central figure of the entire book is Jesus Christ. Mm. So that is established, his wisdom, his power, his might, all of this is established by the way that he presents himself to John. Then we roll into the churches, which in every single situation, there is a characteristic from the description of Christ used to make a connection between the church and Jesus. Right there's something that he like you were saying that Jesus is gonna um, either speak against or or he's going to praise them for what they've done and their their faithfulness and so here is where here's where Jesus builds the foundation for everything else he builds who he is who the church is to him right he speaks to the church directly um, seeing the need for encouragement, the need for direction. Why? Because as we get to the end, and as you said, and the church is taken, there's some craziness that's going to be taking place. So the church has a job to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Jesus didn't leave us here to be the church, to just waste time and, and to buy some time so he could fix up heaven because he wasn't quite ready for us yet. Mm-hmm. Right? So Heav- we didn't have heavenly congestion, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We're gonna have to wait till the roads yeah. kind of clear out. Um, so, so we have been left for a reason, and it really is to to pave the way for for that time. Jesus allows us to be a part of His drawing people to Him, and that's what He wants to use the church for. So He establishes who's most important, and that is Him. He establishes that the church are the ones that He wants to invest in, and they're the ones that are going to be used. To because when they talk about all the, the great works that the churches did, even the ones where Jesus said, Well, you did some good things, they were reaching out to people and they were helping people and they were trying to serve others in the name of God, and sometimes not quite the way that he wanted them to. But he allows us to understand that he is the central figure and that the church is the one that he uses to reach those mm-hmm. in the world. And now he's saying, Now now here's why I'm sending you to reach them. Because there's going to come a time where you're not going to be there anymore. And then all the imagery of Revelation starts to unfold um, with the scary stuff that we like to talk about. So, again, Jesus has already—he's established his superiority. He's established his position. He's established the church's position. And he says, now I'm going to continue with the story on what is to come, now that we have— that we've solidified this foundation. Yeah, and so he brings the church. I believe he brings the church into the throne room. John, of course, is, a, I think, a picture of the church as well. But, but he begins to show us what happens in heaven, what's, at least at this time, what happens right before uh, the chapter 6, which begins, I believe, the tribulation period uh, here on earth. Okay, so in chapter 4, we'll read a couple verses here. Again, after this, I looked and beheld a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard uh, speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper, carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had an appearance of emerald. And before I go any further, uh, notice that he he's saying here, he's saying it has an appearance of. 
In other words, I don't. He's saying I don't know how else to describe it, but it looked something like this. In other words, I was escorted into this throne room. It is amazing. It's beyond my my comprehension. It is beyond my ability to describe. But this is what it appears to me like. And so John does the best that he can to do that for us, and it gets really exciting uh, because he moves. He moves uh, right into the throne room, and then we see one who is seated on the throne. Now, most people look and say, well, who's that? Well, that's Jesus. Well, it's not. It's the Father. The Father's on the throne. We're going to see Jesus in chapter 5, and we'll see the Spirit as well who will be before the throne. And so it is the Father who is seated on the throne, and um, and he describes him. I'm, I'm going to move in. Do you have anything to add to that before I move into the description? Well, and what you're saying yeah. just reminded me of of some of the, uh, specifically the the story of Moses um, climbing to the top of the mountain. He wanted to see Jesus, or he wanted to see God, right? He wanted to see, let me see you. And so, long story short, he catches like the shadow of God, mm-hmm. and it turns his hair white, and is right. So the idea being and there's scripture that tells us nobody has ever seen God and we know why because you know there's a reason why the holy of holies only certain people right so right. and so it it tracks with everything that leading through the old testament teaches us about the um the magnificence of God the magnificence of God and how um overpowering and how beautiful and how majestic he is and 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 that it is far beyond our comprehension far beyond so what john tells us isn't anything different like he's staying in line with with what those in the past have said as well as all right so i'm going to try to tell you what i'm seeing yeah but, but i have no i have nothing to tether that to because i've i've nothing yeah because i believe when, and this is just kind of a personal opinion i believe when we get to heaven that it's going to be so different because I believe it's going to be multi-dimensional. We live in what three or four dimension, but I believe it'll be multi-dimensional to where uh, we will see dimensions, we will see colors, we will see things um, that we've never seen before with our human eyes. And so, you know, when I read this, and and let me just go through a couple of these here. He says. Uh, um, he says, and I sat there, and, ha- and he who sat there, this is God. Now, again, like you said, nobody can see God in all of their glory, so this is a limited picture of God the Father, uh, but still glorious, okay? And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Carnelian and jasper, maybe kind of a reddish brown kind of a color, and of course a rainbow color, an emerald. We, you know, so I mean, we kind of get the the understanding of that. Uh, and so he's saying, this is these are colors I've I've never seen. This is what I think it was like. This is a sight I've never seen. This is a happening that I've where I've never been before. And and we know that from, as we get into this this text. Four and chapter five, uh, that that John is completely overwhelmed at what he sees because what we see here, what he's seeing here through human eyes, is is the glory of God. Well, he's telling us that when he when he sees the one sitting on the throne, he has the appearance of jasper and carnelian. I don't think he thought God looked like stones. Right. 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 So just. Tying on to what you were the saying, brilliance it's the brilliance of it. Right. Of it the, the, these fine stones, these... Uh, so, yeah. So, th- so it's him trying desperately to describe what he sees. And, and then here's what he sees, uh, verse f- 4. He says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders. And notice what they're, what they're wearing, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Now... There's a lot of speculation, and there has been, on who are these 24 elders? Some have said they're angels. Well, it just doesn't fit the description of angels. Uh, uh, some have said that they're, they represent, you know, the, the Old and New Testament. 
They represent the, uh, the Old Testament like the 12 tribes of Israel, and they represent the New Testament like the 12 apostles. However, I don't believe it's that either. Now, I, I don't know who they are, but I believe, I believe that they are elders that represent the church. And a couple reasons why. First of all, because they're wearing a white robe. White robe is, is uh, consistent with what happens to a believer when he or she comes to Christ and we go to be with the Lord. We take off the old robe and we put on the new. We put on a white mm-hmm. robe. Um, and then the crown's on their head. Uh, throughout the scripture, there's at least five crowns that will be given as a reward for believers who have been faithful. And, you know, there's a crown of life. There's the martyr's crown. There's the victor's crown. There's just different of these crowns. So I believe that these 24 elders are representation of the church, the church that had just been raptured, the church that has entered the throne room, and that's who we have here for the most part. The church, those redeemed people who know Christ, and as we'll see in a minute, there'll be all of the angels and cherubims and seraphims and all of those uh, creatures will be here as well. But I believe the elders are saying, okay, we're coming into this throne room. We represent, with 24 thrones, we represent the church, the redeemed, those who have been saved, those who know Christ. And, uh, and so I believe that. And, and uh, there are people who disagree, and I, I'm not going to go into it in detail, but, uh, but I believe that the, the, this represents the church that is clothed in white robes and, um, and have the golden crowns on their head. Do you have any other? No, I mean, I, the way I see it as well is I think that that's the one area we can all agree is it's, it's the church. It's the Church, the body of believers, those the redeemed, yeah. yeah, the redeemed. Well, what's interesting here as we move on is what happens is we begin to see, you know, we see God on this throne. We see the church represented here. We see the, you know, the colors we can't describe, an appearance we can't describe, and then we see something that I think is is cool. He goes from the twenty four elders. He says uh, from the and, and listen to this. He says, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And, and so there's this kind of cosmic, cosmic disturbance that we see in this throne room. You know, the, the lightning. And you ever seen a lightning show? Just in, some of them sometimes are just amazing. Mm-hmm. The thunder, the, the power of the moment uh, uh, is what John gets to see here. Um, And I'm going to go ahead and read the rest, and if you have to comment on this, it's great. He says, From the throne came flashes of rumblings uh, and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, uh, that represents the Holy Spirit. And I think it's in Isaiah that talks about the the seven different characteristics of the Holy Spirit. But the seven... seven, Torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, is the Holy Spirit. So, so far, we have the Father sitting on the throne. We have the the seven spirits, or the Holy Spirit, before the throne, which, again, since the church has been raptured, they're with the church, Mm -hmm. the spirits with the church. And uh, then it says in verse 6, and and I'll stop there, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Now, the Bible, and I don't know the text, but there's a text later on in Revelation that talks about uh, that there will be no more sea in heaven. So here, here is it says, and it says, it says there as it were a sea of glass. In other words, what they saw was a sea of glass that looked like this, this fabulous, amazing, magnificent crystal. Don't know what it was exactly, but this is what John sees. That's right before his eyes. You got any, any other thoughts on this? No. Uh-uh. Okay, well, let's yeah, move we can on. We keep rolling, yeah. And, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. Now, this sounds really weird. I mean, to us. A little bit. What is this? And the first living creature, like a lion. The second uh, living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, uh, like an eagle in flight. 
and f- and the four creature living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they s- never cease to say, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come." Now, who are these creatures? You know, uh, again, with all these eyes and when John sees this, I just think he's overwhelmed, and he's saying, I see something that I've never seen before. And I believe that if we go back to Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 1, where they talk about these four creatures, and they're they're basically cherubim. They're, they're a special order of angels. Uh, and 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 the ox, or for, the lion represents strength. The ox represents servitude. servitude. Uh, and the uh, the eagle represents the flying creatures, and I missed one there. I missed. And then the man. And the man represents reasoning, and uh, and so these four, I think these four angels or cherubim represent, um, they represent creation, or the created beings, and and so what are these created beings doing? They're saying, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I, I've heard it said that, you know, why is there three holies? For the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, but there, these creatures, these angels, are worshiping with all that they have. And John is watching this, and, and he's astounded. He's amazed. He's overwhelmed. And that ties in with... Paul talking about in Romans, I can't remember the chapter right off the top of my head, but he talks about how creation like groans and because it was all made, everything was made to worship God. And then sin enters the world, sin starts decaying the world, the world starts dying, starts falling apart, but God's going to bring us back to the point of the the garden. He's going to bring us He's going to bring his creation back into perfect community with him, perfect harmony with him. And so it tracks with the idea that the that the God's creation will one day again um, will one day again worship him. And then also, you know, Paul talks about how every knee will bow and every tongue confess, right? So this is going to take place where where everything is going to realize who it is who jesus christ is but particularly here we're looking at i mean we're looking at a a good old-fashioned worship service Mm. i mean you've got the church there that's led by the spirit that's worshiping the father all of creation is is uh, is um involved in this and then when you start when you start talking about like white garments when you start talking about seas of crystal there's this this over um over not over this idea of of purity and and holiness and you know spotless and and all the other words that would go with that so so John is actually witnessing God being worshiped in a perfect setting and he has right. no idea how to like he's doing his very best to say well here's what it's like because I've never witnessed perfection you know and that's one of those things that that we we struggle with whenever we talk about um, the Garden of Eden and and how everything was perfect prior to the fall. We have no idea what that was like. We have no idea what perfect harmony um, looks like among people and nature and God and right all of that together. And so for John to have kind of a front seat to observe this, something that nobody else has seen since Adam and Eve, had to be mind blowing oh. to to see all. I mean, not only is he seeing these creatures that he's like, all right, this is going to sound crazy, but this is what they look like. But everybody is worshiping God, and that, that has to be mind blowing. Yeah, and it, and it gets into that even a little bit more as we as we continue. And and you know, I when I did the messages, I did chapter four and chapter five, but they really go together. And you'll see why once we get into chapter chapter five. Because we see, we see all of these amazing things, but we know, and you mentioned this at the beginning of, of our podcast tonight, that the revelation isn't just a, it's not a revelation of end times, although it tells us about the end times. It's not a revelation concerning the churches, although it talked about the churches. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Christ. And while in this right here, we've not seen him yet, but he shows up mm-hmm. in chapter 5. But let's continue, unless you have anything else. No, no go ahead. Uh, look at verse 9. It says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. And all, all we're going to see here to the end of the chapter is just this incredible, incredible uh, uh, corporate worship mm-hmm. of creation and the redeemed and uh, and the angels, and it's just, it's just amazing. So verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. And people say, you know, we get these rewards. What do we do with them? And right, that, that's what we do right there. We take that which which uh, which God has given us and we throw it at his feet. I think the crowns uh, provide for us a greater ability, a greater capacity to worship. And that's what's happening here. And then, so, so, so these words of doxology, if you please, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. And so, so we have, as we end chapter 4, and let's go into chapter 5, we have this picture of absolute perfect worship. But something happens in chapter 5 that we've got to pay close attention to. Do you have any other thing on, as we end chapter 4? I just, I, I find it interesting that the, the natural response for the 24 elders was to cast their crowns before the throne. That was their natural response. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to be prompted. Nope. They didn't have to have, you know, you remember like the old shows where somebody would hold up an applause sign yeah. when they were doing a live filming? Right. Didn't have to happen. No, the right. natural reaction was to give back these th- these crowns. Why? Because they understand, and, you know, I, I'm not real um, certain, or like I, I don't have a whole lot of, study like background on the crowns like you were talking about but i'm willing to bet one thing at the core of every single one of them they are not attainable without the moving of god in the life of the person absolutely right absolutely you don't you're not a martyr without the faith of god being placed in you right without god revealing himself right yeah yeah You, you it's nobody will ever die for the faith because they think it's a pretty cool thing to do yeah Right, it doesn't happen, and and I know you talked um, just recently. You talked about the stories, and how the words that have been recorded that people have spoken before dying, and how they're like, "Cool, it's, you know, it's 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 all about God." Like th- that's that's all there is to it. If I get to die for God, then I get to die for God, and then you know, my only regret is I can't do it twice and things like that. Right. Well, you know, I and I noticed. Remember years of not too many years ago the. The guy when ISIS was big, hmm. and they took those. Um, I, I think these guys were from Ethiopia. They're from a, a, a from a church, and and they they were going to behead them. And I think there's a film of it. Yeah, don't encourage anybody to watch. But before they were beheaded, they sang hymns. Right? Who does and, that? Yeah, that doesn't even make sense. I mean, I can see them begging for their lives. Mm-hmm. I can see them trying to run. I can see them do even being angry and yeah. spitting and you know Singing whatever praises yeah. to God. Right. So at the at the core of every one of those crowns is a move of God in the lives of those people. And when you're standing before God, it just makes sense to give it back because without him, it wouldn't have been there to start with. Right. And then the realization of that this is why we did it. Like this is our whole reasoning behind this wasn't to to store it away in, in our mansion in heaven or or however you know you you want to talk about that. It was this has been gained to give back because it is all about God. Mm. And so that, that was the natural response. And, you know, I think there's something that we can take from that in, in our regular um, everyday lives, our, our worship, our corporate worship, our um, worship when I was going to say our personal worship, but you know what I mean when I say personal worship, I mean, worshiping God ourselves, not <laughs> with other people, ourselves. not worshiping ourselves, <laughs> but in every, every one of those, um, opportunities mm. to remember that 
the whole reason we we're not doing God any favors by doing this, that this is he he has given us the opportunity mm-hmm. and the privilege and the means, whatever that looks like, whether it's me sitting down with my Bible by myself or I'm meeting with a, a room full of other people at the church. Mm-hmm. God is the one that provides the opportunity and the blessing to be able to sit and worship him. And when put in that situation that John sees, the natural response is, here's everything. Yeah. Here's everything yeah. of value and that I, I have. I get to give this. Yes. You know, that makes that makes worship worship. Right. It's it's and th- the word means to to uh, attribute worth to something. So I have these crowns, I attribute them to the only one worthy, and that's Christ. But it gets better here. You know, I don't know how they how the uh, translators uh, divided chapters and verses. I almost think that chapter 4 and chapter 5 should be together. And you'll see why in a minute. Because we see God the Father on the throne. We see um, the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits before him. But notice what happens in, in chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back back, sealed with seven seals. That's significant. We'll be talking about those seven seals later. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Uh, Again, try to put yourself in this place, okay? All of heaven, this throne room is now silent. And, and and an angel stands up and says, I saw on the right hand of him who was seated, who was God the Father, on the throne, a scroll written. And I saw a mighty angel, verse 2, proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And I don't know what happens here. But notice, this is this may be one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Because he says, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John says this, and I begin to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. If this chapter ended here, it would be the worst chapter in the Bible because at this moment, John is you're hearing the cry of the angel say, okay, we've got this scroll that's in the Father's hand, in his right hand. Who can open it up? Because within it is the, is, is the judgments of God. It's, it's, the, it's, what, it's the, the only one that can open this is the one who's earned the right to open it. And so it's like, we, the picture we get here is that all of heaven is silent. And John just can't do anything else at this point. Right? One moment, you know, they're praising and throwing crowns and everything. That's just amazing. But now it's silent. And right here where it says that John cried, it said that he, uh, he wept loudly. That, that means, the, the, the Greek there means not only did he weep, have you, you know, especially when you were younger, when you were kids, we used to ever cry and just couldn't stop. That's what that means. It means that he wept with this deep anguish and he couldn't stop crying. It's a continual cry. But because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. What a, I mean, what a, what a stark contrast from everybody singing to God to silence. And it's a, it really is a perfect picture of, of what all of creation experienced. See, because from the very beginning, God's always been God. God's mm-hmm. always been worthy of praise simply because of who he is. Mm-hmm. God's never had to do anything to, to achieve godness, and then people say, good job, you, mm-hmm. you did He's always been God. He's always been worthy of praise. So everything that's happened in this these few verses makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's completely logical. Right. But then what you see is 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 God holds in his hand 
the way he's going to make things right. The way he's going to fulfill his promise of being that just God. And at the same time, it allows everybody that's sitting around him to know that they know who God is, they love God, they worship God, but we're about to see one of the uh, mighty attributes of who he is. Mm. <clears throat> but it can't happen because nobody is worthy of opening the scroll. So so now it would feel like, I would assume, and I got to be careful with that, but in the midst of this all-powerful God, there's nobody that can fulfill what it is he wants done. Yeah, and this, I think, brings us to a, an atmosphere, an environment of hopelessness. In this moment, there's no hope. There's no one that, because our hope lies in opening the scroll and, and, and revealing these seals, breaking the seals and revealing what's going on, and nobody can do it. And John just cries profusely. But it, good news is it doesn't stay there. Do you want me to read on? You yeah, want to go read ahead. on? Okay. Go ahead. Uh, l- listen to this, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, listen to this. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So John's saying, oh, wait, there's hope. This lion of Judah. And I don't know, when I read that, I think of the the, the C.S. Lewis uh, book and movie, you know, The Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the, and the representation of Christ is this lion, the of course, because of the lion of Judah. And so, and so, uh, John's ready to see basically this kind of, uh, majestic lion, you know, if you please, but it says, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, look what he says. I saw a lamb standing. And then he goes on to say, we know what this means as though it had been slain. So the Lamb of God steps up, the crucified one, with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to heaven. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So there in the midst, the Father in the right hand has a scroll, the Spirit is there in front of us, and in, this, in Jesus, we know this to be Jesus, took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Before we get into that, so here, here is one that is worthy. Here is one who, over the course of the next, uh, from chapter 6 to about chapter 19, is opening the scrolls, op- which then opens trumpets, which then opens bowls, and which, which actually uh, shows us what's going to happen next up to his kingdom. But so here, so John's not crying anymore <laughs> and worship. Worship resumes, and worship resumes with the, with the understanding that the one who is worthy to open the scroll is there, and he is a slain lamb. We know the lamb was the sacrificial animal used to uh, in the Old Testament that was sacrificed for the purpose uh, to cover, if you please, the sins of the people, but Jesus became the the lamb, the, the lamb, the ultimate lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and who was crucified on the cross. And when they realize who this is, they worship. They worship. Um, 
any comments on that? Because I was just going to, they sang a new song. Let me, let me. Yeah, go I ahead. Gonna, I'm not going to sing it. Right. But I am going <laughs> to read it. <laughs> you think it sounded like a Southern gospel song? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> not like I'll Fly Away or anything <laughs> like that. Okay. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. He explains in this section uh, what the lamb did, why he was slain. He, he was slain for the purpose of ransoming the, his people from all over the world. Remember, and I haven't got into the 70th week of Daniel. We'll talk about it another time. But, uh, but, but uh, from Gentiles, Jew, these people during the church age were, were given opportunity or were given uh, salvation from the Lamb. And, um, and he says, you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. Then he get, talks about what's going to happen many chapters down the road and they shall reign on earth. And I'll get into that in just a minute. Jared, what do you think of this? I really, I really like the, the, uh, like the, the imagery of the, the bowls, the bowl of incense, oh. the, right, which is the prayer to the saints. A lot of the taking us back to the, um, the initial communion of God when he decided to dwell among his people again on the earth. When we look back at like old uh, Levitical law and, and, and uh, uh, worship rituals and things of that nature and God placing himself among his people. Now, of course, they weren't all able to go meet with them as we do now through our high priest. But one of the things in this too, that jumps out at me and, I would love to know who the elder is. Hmm. And like, as we're reading it, I get this picture in my head of, because when you're crying like what you described here with John, it reminds me of times, you know, if anybody listening to this were to think of a time when they lost somebody they love deeply. And that, that feeling of, that feeling of, lost that feeling of hopelessness the the realization that you know you're you're not going to see that person on this planet again right that and and what type of emotion that brings i would have to assume that john was feeling this if not more mm. <clears throat> and then he hears the voice of an elder mm-hmm. and i think there's value in this too i'm not trying to make oh, scripture agree. something that it's not but again, looking at the church and looking at the body of Christ and who we are and the people that serve in the church, the message that he gives to John is the same message that we give to a world that mm-hmm. is hopeless. And it says that he, he leans down. I don't know if it says he leans down. Let me well, maybe he find does. it again. Yeah. <laughs> But he says to him, he says, uh, here we go. I began to weep loudly, and one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And so it's even what John sees happen there is that hope is restored, that God's promise is going to be true, the fulfillment of of his promises is going to happen. There is hope and the hope is found in the lamb that was slain. And so, you know, it, it it just makes me think of the times in my life too, when, when you feel like everything's falling apart and when you have somebody that can come alongside you and not based on just good feelings or emotions, but the word of God say, it's going to be okay. Mm. It's going to be okay because the lamb that was slain, right? Mm-hmm. He is he is risen. He is he has taken his place beside the Father. But now what we're about to see here, of course, is a, is a different picture. But it's what he did on the cross and afterwards 
that allows us to have that hope that we can we can stop the crying the tears of loss and go into the tears of joy we can grab a hold of the hope that that has been given to us by the lamb and so you see that turnaround here and 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 just in my head this kind of the picture i get is is he's you know, he probably lost he probably lost sight of what was going on in that moment or he was stuck in that moment, I guess I should say, mm-hmm. and not getting the big picture because, you know, John walked with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus taught them all kinds of stuff. He talked about what was to come. He talked about, you know, he, he did some prophesying. He did, mm-hmm. or he, he did some prophesying. Of course he did he preach, mm-hmm. but he talked about what was going to come in the future. Matthew 24. Uh, right. 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 But yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so John John heard these things, but still in that moment, mm-hmm. all yeah. was lost. Yeah, yeah. Well, because 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 there was no one who could open. The, in other words, the Savior isn't there. And mm-hmm. so when the Savior shows up, the, the elder says, "Come on in." Yeah, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but uh, the whole dynamic of what's going on changes. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like there's no worship. There's worship now. No worship because of. The void, when the void's filled in Christ, who's the Lamb, then what happens? He starts worshiping. Mm-hmm. So, um, worthy are you to take the scroll? And this is it says a new song because we're not reading about the scroll before. Now the new song has worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And this is kind of projecting what's going to happen when we get to chapter six. Um, uh, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. In other words, that's the role of the saints in the millennial kingdom. We come back with Christ. He comes back on his glorious white horse, and we, we're following behind him, and we are called priests of God, and we rule and reign with Christ. You have any, you want me to move on? Yeah, or let's go. Because we're not, not too far. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, nu- numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, and here they're worshiping again, worshiping again, worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. There's, there's worship again. Verse 13, And I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in the sea, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. And then verse 14, And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders Again, the represents the church, fell down, and worshiped. This is kind of, this right here is kind of what we call a doxology, you know, where everything, every creation, we know we're in the throne room of God, every creation, everything, you know, uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow, uh, praise all creatures here below, you know, uh, I can't remember all the words, but praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's a kind of doxology that says, God, we praise you for who you are, everything that has breath, everything that can move, everything that has been created by God, let them praise him. And that's what this ends with. And then in chapter 6, which we're not going to go on tonight, he begins to open the seals. And some things happen. This has been, I mean, it's 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 been a really great picture from beginning to this point again christ being the central central figure in everything that's taken place we have the um, description of him we have how he communicates to his church what he expects from his church and then god allows us to see jesus through what he's sharing with john allows us to see how without him there the hope 
is gone. It's dead. There is none. God's there. The church is there. Right? There's these weird animal things there. Mm -hmm. But without the lamb, even in the midst of that, there is no hope. Because before the world was formed, God chose that through Christ, this is what was going to come to be. Right. And and so, you know, as, as scary as the rest of this book can be, well, I tell you what, I, God's done a fantastic job of, of building the argument that he's in control. Mm -hmm. With what Christ did, he's in control. He's in control now and in the future. And and that we should go ahead and start our praising now mm -hmm. because of who he is, as well as we'll continue to in the future. So I, I, I think this it it continues to build this this holistic picture of who Christ is mm -hmm. to give us a better understanding of who our Savior is and who it is that we worship when we come together and when we read and when we talk to each other about it and when we sing and you know what whatever the 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 mode of worship is at the time. That's that's the Jesus mm. that we see, and so it's exciting. Yeah, and one thing I just this is a side note. When we begin to read through the scripture, I remember you you taught uh, not a while back. You taught um, um, uh, in the Old Testament. You went through the Old Testament in the teaching with our church, and you and you. I remember you pointing out the the episodes of God's grace throughout the Old Testament because mm -hmm. we think the Old Testament is is God's mean and vicious in the New Testament. He just he presents grace. Well, no, he has grace throughout the whole. Old Testament, and he and he shows us his grace in the New Testament. And when we get to the Book of Revelation, we think, "Oh, this one reason why people don't even open up, open it up." But what we're going to see in the future, maybe maybe not. Well, we're going to see it all through this. Is God's grace is in the midst of the worst time this earth will ever have? There will be there will be incredible moments of God's grace up until the very end. And uh, that's the that's the character of God. We'll see His mercy, and we'll see His grace extended to the very end. But this is a great study, and I'm excited to get into chapter six, and we'll begin to open the seals. Or not, not us, but the Savior no, will open yes. the seals, <laughs> and we'll get to see them. So, you want to close in prayer, Jerry? Yeah, we can go ahead and do that. Let's wrap this up. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to read your word, and we thank you so much for loving us and for, for choosing to share it with us, God. Um, we all deserve to rest in that or to, to sit in that same place where John did in that feeling mm. of hopelessness, but we thank you that you didn't leave us there, God. We thank you so much for, for providing us grace and mercy and, and for loving us and for being the God of uh, a, a God that is just, and that you are going to right all the wrongs, that you are going to punish what needs to be punished, and you forgive what you will forgive, and, and, and you've chosen to forgive us. And so we thank you for that, God. And, and I ask that you work as uh, people listen to this and, and follow along in these scriptures, that you move in their lives, God, that they hear from you in a powerful way that draws them closer to you. And, and we thank you again for your son, for Jesus, for doing the thing for us that we could not do ourselves. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast of Unveiling the Scriptures. We'll see you next time.